0: Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Does God still heal today? Now, I'm not talking about whether or not God heals through conventional medicine or alternative forms. I'm asking whether or not you believe that God can still heal today in Greater Edmonton, here in 2023. I'm talking about divine healing. We've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, and in today's passage, we read about a time where healing, divine healing, took place. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 1, starting from verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue... They went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons." And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. While there's a lot going on here, there are three things in particular that I want to point out about healing. Here's the first observation. Jesus cares about our health. He cares about our health as much as he cares about our souls. Last week we saw what happened when Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. We discovered that he has authority over all things in the seen and unseen realms, physically and spiritually. He has authority over all things. So in verse 29, we see that Simon, Andrew, James, and John leave the synagogue and go to Simon and Andrew's house. We see this in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Simon, who is also known as Cephas or Peter, is married. I don't know if that ever dawned on you, or if that ever, uh, if, if that ever, if, if you ever noticed that observation. The fact is, we don't know much about the families of the other disciples, but we do know this about Simon or about Peter. He's married. Which means he has a mother-in-law. And his mother-in-law, as we see in this situation, in this circumstance, is sick. Now, if you have a mother-in-law, or if you've watched Korean dramas, you know that the mother-in-law relationship can be complicated. <laughs> right, the mother-in-law relationship is, is always peachy keen. Right There's never any sort of complexity when it comes to that relationship, right? <laughs> it's interesting in this passage, we don't know how long Simon's mother-in-law has been sick for. We don't know why she's sick or, or does she live with them? Is she just staying with them because she's sick? But I bet you that her sickness added some complexity to the dynamics to the dynamic of Simon and his wife's relationship, right? Especially if the sickness was going on for a long time and and because of the sickness, they moved or she moved into their house. So it makes sense that in the midst, after following Jesus, meeting Jesus and seeing what Jesus can do, it makes sense that Simon wants to introduce his mother-in-law to Jesus, right? It makes sense. That, uh, because, because he knows, and we see here at the end of verse 30, that, that he at once told Jesus about his mother-in-law. Or uh, to put it another way, the word is immediately. Immediately. Instead of saying, hey, Jesus, what do you want to drink? What do you want to eat? It's immediately, at once. Hey, let me introduce you to my sick mother-in-law. Because I'm sure there is extra complexity that was going on in that. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because in this situation we see that Jesus doesn't dismiss this. He actually pauses and he interacts with Simon's mother-in-law. He cares about her health. He probably also cares about Simon and his wife's relationship. He might who knows maybe Simon talked to him about his relationship with his wife and his mother-in-law as they were going to their house. We don't know that. But what we see here is that clearly Jesus cares about her health. Verse 31, so we went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now, Jesus isn't some Hellenistic miracle worker. He's not a shaman. He's not a self-proclaimed miracle deliverer or something like that. That's not his identity. Jesus doesn't cast spells here. He doesn't cook up some incantations or do anything of that sort. Instead, he just, he just sees her physical sickness, goes to her, stretches out his hand, and asks her to get up. Simple. Simple. You know, most of you have probably had a fever. I think we've all had at some point in our lives. And and when you have a fever, you're struggling with chills and and, and maybe you're hot at some points and you're back and forth. The the last thing that you want to do when you have a fever is get up out of bed, right? You're probably weak. Maybe you're curled up in the fetal position because it hurts so much. But we see here, at once, Jesus just goes and asks her to get up and she gets up. She was completely healed. And then, if that wasn't enough, she's like, can I serve you? Not because she had to, because she wanted to. You know, one theologian interestingly noted that the healing accomplished within Peter's home indicates that salvation had come to his house in response to this radical obedience that he had manifested. In other words, what we see here is that Jesus cares about Our health as much as he cares about our souls. The second observation about healing that we see here in this passage is that general sickness and demon possession are different. They aren't the same thing. Now, some people fall into the trap of over-spiritualizing things. Right, so you're driving, you're looking for a spot at, at West Ed on the weekend, and, and you're going around, and you're going up and down different rows, and you can't find a spot. So you're like, oh, Jesus, would you find me a spot? Right, And then you turn the corner, you find a spot, and you're like, hallelujah! Right, I told you, I told you, it's going to be a good shopping day. Angels were reserving the spot for us. I know you're laughing, but there are some here who that's how you see things, or, 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 or maybe, maybe it says when you're sick, you don't necessarily like going to the doctor because you would rather just pray and, and not go to the doctor at all, or, 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 or because, because sickness for you is automatically related to sin or, or to a demon, and, and, and when discerning about what to do next, where to go, what decision to make, your understanding around discernment is like you live in this cosmic escape room. You're looking for clues. God, are you moving here? Is, is this what you want me to do? And, and you try to solve this puzzle and you do this. And everything is like this. If you over-spiritualize things, everything is, is a cosmic puzzle in some sense. Okay, now that's an extreme, right? On the other extreme are those who under-spiritualize things. And, and, and you might be more on that end if, if you never pray before you eat. Because you're like, why would I pray before I eat? God already blessed the food. Like What's the reason around giving thanks? I, I, God knows my heart. I don't need to pray. And you dismiss that practice. You might be falling into the trap of under-spiritualizing things if, if, if you think that everything always has to have an immediate explanation. Like this is why. Right now, this is why this is happening. Everything is about the here and now and, and, and maybe... maybe Maybe too often you act like this life is, is all that there is. Well, maybe if that's the case, you're a little bit more on this side. So, so on this spectrum of, 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 of living life and, and looking at the physical and the spiritual realm and, and how things intersect, I'm curious, right? I'm curious where you'd place yourself. You'd be a little bit more on this side. Or you'd be a little bit more on this side. Because if you're a little bit more on this side, on the over-spiritualizing side of things, then it's easy to assume that general sickness and demon possession are the same thing. It's easy to assume that. And if you're on this side of things, it's, it's easy to assume that there's, there's no such thing as demons, and there's no such thing as demon possession. But we see here something interesting. We see here that for Jesus... General sickness and demon possession are actually different things. Verse 32. When evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Friends, this is why... Mark doesn't obscure the distinction by using sick and demon possession interchangeably. He doesn't. All I right, take a look, right? Verse 32, it says, Brought to him all those who were sick and demon possessed. Sick and demon possessed as different things. Now you're like, oh, is it like sick and demon possessed? Or is it like sick and possessed? like Is it the same thing or is it different things? Well, look at verse 34. Because we need to look at how Mark writes. It's the pattern in which he writes. Verse 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. Okay, so in both verses, he's talking about both situations as if they're different things. And then in Mark 6.13, he says, They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people and with oil and healed them. He's not using sickness, general sickness and demon possession interchangeably, he's always talking about them as two different things because general sickness and demon possession are different things. They're different. Now the third observation that we see here in this text about healing is that healing wasn't Jesus's central mission. His central mission was to usher in, to proclaim the kingdom of God. Maybe you remember Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This was Jesus' central mission. Now, the people gathering around him didn't realize that. They thought that he was a miracle worker. So when the Sabbath came to an end in the evening, all the peoples came out. Like It wasn't just a few, but all the people came out when the Sabbath came to an end. Verse 32. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. Can you imagine this? Right? I mean, just try to imagine. Close your eyes and imagine what's going on right now. Right? The Sabbath has just finished. You have been spending a 24-hour period resting. The sun has gone down. You've heard about this Jesus doing all these things. Sun's going down. It's getting dark. And then I'm up, so you everyone it, comes out. back then but it was like that's how I imagine what's going on like everyone's like coming out it's getting dark it's like party time let's go but it's not just go to a field they are going to Simon and Andrew's house can you imagine if your entire neighborhood showed up at your door (laughs) like the parking mayhem that would happen Everyone has just come. It's getting dark and they're right there and they're lining up at Simon and Andrew's door. And then we see this happen, verse 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. Wait, didn't, didn't we just read that everyone came to his door? I don't know if you noticed that. We just heard that all the town, everyone came to the word, and then Jesus just healed many. What's going on here? Well, when Mark wrote the word many to describe what Jesus did, he wasn't implying that, he, that Jesus only healed some and didn't heal others. Now I know that that's how it sounds in English, right? I know we don't use the word many to, to talk about all, but In the Hebraic sense of the word many, in the Hebraic sense of that word, that word actually means the whole community. Many means the whole community. So in this situation, we see that Jesus actually healed all those who came to him. But healing wasn't his central mission. Yes, he healed in this situation all those who came to him, but this wasn't the thing that he came to do. This wasn't his central mission. I, I, I mean, take a look at this. I like how this one theologian puts it. The people came to Jesus, not because they recognized his dignity and function, but because it is rumored that a miracle worker is coming to their midst. That's why that's why they were coming. Jesus had to come to preach repentance and the nearness of the kingdom, Right? That's his mission, but the people think only of relief from pain and affliction. They fail to perceive the significance of Jesus' conflict with demonic power. In compassion and grace, Jesus extends to them authentic healing, but it's not, right? what does it say there? It's not primarily for this purpose that he has come. So if healing wasn't central to Jesus's mission, and why did he spend so much time doing it? Not just here, but elsewhere. It wasn't central. Why did he spend so much time doing it? Because divine healing is a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Imagine if you're going out for dinner and, and you're going and, and it's, you're going to one of these fancy restaurants that have that have an open kitchen. Right? It's, it's not too big, or you're sitting close, and so you can see the chefs working and cooking, and, and you see flames going up, and there's this, this hustle bustle. It's, it's kind of this feel of a restaurant that you're there, and you're like, I'm going to order steak. It's a special occasion. We're going we're gonna to celebrate You order steak, and, and you smell it, right? You smell the onions and the garlic and, and the mushrooms, and you hear the sizzling of this steak being seared. Right, you haven't even gotten the meal to your plate, but you have already begun to taste the meal. You know what I'm talking about? Like I'm sure your stomach's beginning to rumble right now. I know mine is, because I want to eat that. Right? I'm 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 thinking about it. I'm talking about, and that and that's the idea of that's that's what a foretaste is. Well, divine healing is a foretaste of the kingdom of God. When we experience divine healing personally or someone that we know or we see someone experience divine healing, what we're doing is we're actually foretasting the kingdom of God. We are foretasting something that's going to be forever all the time. And when we don't, we pray for healing and, and, and that person isn't healed. Well, it's because the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully here. One day it'll fully be here. But that's not today. So when we experience it, the occasions that we do, it's not all the time on this side of eternity yet, but when we do, that's a foretaste. It's pointing us to the kingdom of God. So let's return to the original question at the beginning of this message. Does God, still heal today. In the scriptures, we see that divine healing is not a myth. It's not a contemporary trend. It's not a reason to avoid modern medicine. Divine healing isn't a ticket to escape death. Divine healing is that moment when the resurrection power of Christ intersects the faith of a disciple. It's when the resurrection power of Christ crashes into our earthly reality and fills us with the fullness of Christ. Where the fullness of Christ indwells us, flows in us, and flows through us. That's what happens when divine healing happens on this side of eternity. Now, The reason we would pursue, the reason we're talking about this, and the reason we would pursue divine healing isn't just to Get a few more extra years of life. That's not why. Or, or if you're just trying to have a more comfortable life because of this chronic pain, that, that's not that's not a that's not a reason to pursue divine healing. Because divine healing, it's not the end. It's the means sometimes when we are in chronic pain and we have someone who is suffering with sickness, we think, and we're like, God, you've healed before. You can heal now. I believe you can. We think that divine healing, and we pray as if divine healing is the end. But that's actually the wrong way to think about it. Divine healing is the means for another end. So what is that end? The goal of divine healing is to glorify God and to show everyone around us that there is a God and his name is Jesus. That's why we pursue divine healing. Divine healing is not about our our desire to have an easier life or a pain-free life or whatever that might be. And I recognize that when you're sick or you have someone else who is sick in your life, you are on your knees and you are begging and asking God to bring about relief and we read about David doing that in the psalms but when that when the healing becomes the end and that's the purpose we've got it wrong we've got it wrong and we won't experience this divine healing on this side of eternity divine healing remember is a foretaste of the kingdom it's an appetizer of the kingdom Just consider in Exodus 15 what it says. For I am the Lord who heals you. Exodus 15, 26. Or in Isaiah 53, we read that we are healed by the wounds of Jesus. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted but he was pierced because of our rebellion crushed because of our iniquities punishment for our peace was on him and what does it say at the end let's say it out together and we are healed by his wounds in Matthew 10:1 we see that Jesus just as Jesus divinely healed people he actually gave the disciples the same authority and ability Right? Summoning his, his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. And then in James, 5, in James 5, we read what to do if there's someone sick in our midst. That we are to pray, we are to anoint them, call upon the elders of the church. Take, take a look, is anyone among you sick? he should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. In this passage, James doesn't say that the church should call the apostles to pray over the sick. That's not what he says here. Rather, he says that the church needs to call the elders. Now, although elders are spiritual leaders of the church. Elders are ordinary individuals. They're ordinary individuals. So what that implies is that we don't need one of the original apostles, or we don't need someone who claims to be a healer today to pray for us to experience healing. We don't need anyone special to pray for us to experience divine healing today. Healing can happen today in and through ordinary believers and as a part of healing prayer james says that we should anoint them in the name of the lord this is my oil i always carry it with me every single service because i'm expectant and i have faith and i have trust that god will heal and when we look at oil um why does James talk about oil in this passage? Because oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So when we anoint the sick with oil, as we read about in this passage, what we're doing is we are signifying, we are, we are declaring, we are, we are blessing the sick with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are saying, hey, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead be upon you now. May the indwelling of Christ in its fullness through the Holy Spirit be upon you now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what's happening when we anoint someone with oil. It's it's like olive oil. It's not from Jerusalem or it's nothing special like this. I didn't order it or anywhere. It's literally just normal oil. But what it is, it's a symbol. It's a symbol. Okay, think about it like this. I once heard that anointing someone with oil is to healing. Okay, anointing is to healing as baptism is to our profession of Christ and the Lord's Supper is to deeper spiritual communion with Jesus. It's a sign. It's a symbol. Something that points us to. So does God still divinely heal today? I hope you're not in your head. <laughs> because he does. He does. He didn't just heal back then. He heals now. And, 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 and to show you why, and, why and, and, and the fact that he actually does still heal today, we read in James 5 what to do to pray for someone who needs to experience healing. We are given instructions for what to do. Friends, I remember this one time where I was healed of a sore throat while worshiping. I have a friend who had struggled with intolerance to lactose for his life, and when prayed for, he was healed. I know a woman who was bleeding for a week, and when prayed for, she stopped bleeding. I'm not talking about the New Testament story, I'm talking about a, a, a modern day person. I know someone who had stage 4 inoperable pancreatic cancer. All the images, everything was showing that it was too far spread and there was no chance for hope. But this individual went from doctor to doctor to doctor to try to find someone who would perform surgery on him. And when he finally did, this is when I was living in Korea. When he finally did, the, per- the doctor opened him up reluctantly. And the cancer was gone. I've seen this today. These aren't stories from of old. I've seen this today. I know of a girl who sprained her ankle, and when, after being prayed for, she was able to walk because she was healed. Friends, God still heals today. Divine healing is not just a valid theological concept that we can back up with the scripture. It is a present day reality. Unfortunately, there's many myths swirling around about how to get it, how to obtain it, and what it actually is and isn't, right? Here's one, here's one myth. Uh, It's a myth that's called healing by acts of sacrifice. There is this myth that, that if we gather a lot of people, someone's sick, if we gather a lot of people and surround that person with prayer and fasting and we are, we, are, we are just getting on our knees and surrounding this person, then God must show up. It's a myth. That we can bend the will of God, that we can, all, that we can change what he has planned by sheer number and effort. By sacrifice. Now the problem with this notion is that it actually it's actually based on a ritualistic notion on the, from the Mount of Carmel. Maybe you know this. When Baal worshippers were up against Elijah. And they were cutting themselves. They were doing everything that they could do to try to get their God's attention. If only we do more, then God has to act. Friends, when we look at the scripture, (laughs) our God is a generous God. Our God is a loving God. So that's the first myth. I love how A.B. Simpson puts it. He's the founder of our denomination, the Alliance. He says this, There is no power in prayer unless it is the prayer of God himself. Unless you're in contact with Christ, the living healer, there is no healing. Christ's healing is by his own divine touch. It is not prayer cure, but Christ healing. Another myth that we encounter these days when it comes to healing is this one. The greater our faith, the more likely we're going to experience healing. It's like there's this, this direct correlation. More faith, more chance to heal. Buy more lottery tickets, the more chance you're going to have to win the lottery. Like there's this sense that we have it's directly tied. You got to have more faith. Oh, you're going to experience healing because you didn't have enough faith. Pray for more faith. You need more faith. Now, there's no doubt that we need faith to experience healing from God. There's a story in the scripture where Jesus healed the bleeding woman. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. He specifically outlined her faith and the role of her faith in this healing. But here's the problem. When we take that, when we isolate that, and we say that that is all it takes to be healed. When we overemphasize faith, you know what we're doing? We're saying that it's all up to us. The power of my faith the measure of my faith the strength of my faith is going to bring about this healing what are we doing we're making it all about us again right and say so we need to understand this god is the one who heals and it's our faith that receives it let me say that again God is the one who heals, and it's our faith that receives the healing. Our faith doesn't bring about the healing. Our faith receives the healing that God brings about. You see the tension? You see this nuance around faith and healing and God's work? In other words, we need to place our focus on God. We can't place our focus on our faith. We need to place our focus on God when we are seeking, not only in all of life, but especially when we're praying for healing. We need to place our eyes on God and trust Him. Well, here's a third myth. Lack of healing because of unconfessed sin. Now, this last one is more of a, is more of a misunderstanding than a myth. Because sometimes if an individual prays and doesn't receive healing... Uh, it actually might be because they have unconfessed sin. Right? There, there is an aspect of that to it. But, but here's the thing. The absence of sin doesn't ensure healing. The absence of sin doesn't guarantee healing. Why? Because if that was the case, just like faith, just like ritualistic acts, it would be all up to us again, right? But it's not. All right, take a look at this. In James 5.16, we see that there is, when, when, we, when we go to God and we are asking for, for healing, we need to confess our sins. It says, right after the verses we just read, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So does God still divinely heal today? Yes. And when he does, it's a foretaste of what will be forever. It's a foretaste of the kingdom. But we can't demand healing. As much as we might want healing, we can't demand healing. Because healing is totally an act of God's grace. Healing can only be received... By faith, if God has decided and foreordained that you would experience that healing, and if God doesn't provide it, it's not because He's chastising you. It's not like, oh, you're not, I mean, you, 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 can, you can receive healing, but not you, because, uh, like, do I need to say, like, do I need to really bring up the past? And, And say, why you don't deserve healing? You know, so I don't need it. I mean, that's not what, sometimes we think this, right? We think it's like God's not chastising us if we don't experience healing. When we are sincerely asking for it, that's not, no, it's just a matter of fact that the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully here. So when we don't experience divine healing, don't take it too personally. (laughs) Because it's not the end, it's the means, right? In the scriptures, we see that Jesus heals for a purpose. He heals to give that individual vitality and strength to go about his purposes and his will. There's a reason for the healing. There's always another purpose and end for healing other than just being physically healed and healthy. It's to be used to show people the kingdom of God. Right? It's a foretaste, divine healing is a foretaste for the kingdom of God. So here's my question to you. Do you want to be well? Is there an area in your life that you would like to experience physical healing in? Maybe there's an area of your life that you want to experience and need to experience spiritual healing in, or emotional healing, or psychological healing. But when you sit and you reflect and you think about all that's been talked about, do you want to be well? I recognize that there's some of you here at West and at Southwest, Faradaloose and Bonnie Dune, who, who can't, even, you can't even, you can't even, you can't even ask yourself that question. Because you've prayed, you've sincerely prayed that God would heal, and He didn't. And you are so disappointed. You're so disappointed that 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 to even think about putting yourself out there again, and asking God for healing. You're just like, I don't know if I can do that again. So you, so you say, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done. Because you're like, that's a safe prayer, right? Like, if I pray that, I will never be disappointed. <laughs> God, may your kingdom come and your will be done. I wonder if if for some of you, that prayer is actually a cop-out. Now Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done. And amen, let it be so. Let us pray that prayer boldly. But he also asked us to pray for healing. And I wonder if when you need healing, when you are desiring healing, if your prayer, may your kingdom come and your will be done, is actually a cop-out for faith. I wonder if God today is saying, I want to increase your faith. When my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer, um, he was given six months to live. He lived a year and a half. But I remember in and through that whole process, I was, I was like flip-flopping. I was like, God, would you heal him? God, may your kingdom come. I can't even pray this prayer anymore. And, and I was moving from being upset to being sad to being torn apart to being angry at God. And I was just this flip-flop of emotions of, yes, God, I want you to heal him. God, would you please heal him? And two years ago, this past Thursday, He passed. If I could turn back time, and I could go back to that moment when my dad was still alive, diagnosed with this cancer, and and I knew what I knew now—that he would die. I've wondered, would I still pray that and ask God to heal him? Like, would I still pray that? Knowing that I was going to be disappointed, knowing that he was going to die, would I still pray that? And as I've wrestled with this question, I've I've come to terms with, yes, I would have. Because in seeking his face, in wrestling with God. My prayers weren't, I trust you God, you are gonna do whatever you're gonna, it was not that holy. (laughs) I'm glad no one heard my prayers because I was angry and upset and confused and at points I was speechless. I couldn't even talk to God because of how upset I was. If I could go back, I would still pray knowing that he would die. I would still pray that God would heal him. Because I've seen it happen. I've seen God heal. And in and through that whole process, my faith deepened with him. And there are far more riches and benefits and other, 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 other fruit that has come out in my relationship with God. Because I put myself out there and I believe that he would do it. And I had the right prayers. I was like, God, don't heal him for his sake. Heal him because he is serving as an elder at his church. And, and this church is going through this. And I, and I had all the best reasons for God to heal him. I was like, God, here's my, here's my case. I checked off all the boxes. But God did something in me. and putting myself out there. And I do it again. I'll do it every single time. And that's why I carry this all the time. Because I believe that God can still heal today. So here's my question to you. Do you want to be well? Is there an area of your life that you desire physical healing in? If so, then let's, do this together right now. Let's start by praying and confessing of our sins. There's this dad in the scriptures that, that said with his sick son, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Can we confess of our unbelief? Can we take some time right now to confess of our sins of unbelief? Can we confess of what sins Maybe in hurting others. Sins against other people. Whatever it might be. Can we just take a moment before we ask God for healing. Can we just confess our sins. I'm going to put this on the screen. And I want to invite you to pray this. I'll give you about a minute. Let's just together right now pray this together. Say this and have a time of confessing our sins. Let's do that right now. You to reflect on this question, what would you like God to do for you? Have a conversation with our Heavenly Father. Just express, don't worry about your words. Just pray, talk to God like you're talking to a friend. What would you like God to do for you? I'll give you a moment to have a conversation with God on this. Father, in this place, we come to you as your children and we ask that you would release divine healing across this room. That you would release divine healing, that you, Holy Spirit, would come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Move the way that only you can move. We pray that you would bind up the evil one in the name of Jesus Christ, his flaming arrows and the attacks and what he is doing. Would you bind him up in the name of Jesus Christ and would you release your divine healing to us, your children? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this point, I wanna invite our prayer team forward. So if you're uh, part of our prayer team, just come forward right now and, and get into position to be ready to pray for healing. And for the rest of us, let me ask you again, do you wanna be well? If you want to be well, then would you stand? If there's an area in your life that you are asking God for healing in, Just stand. And here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you forward. We have prayer teams along this side, and we have a prayer team along this side. And I want to invite you to come forward. And here's the beautiful thing. If you've come with someone who is standing up, come with them. If you see someone across the room that you know that's coming forward, and you're like, hey, I know them, I want to pray with them, then come forward with them. Surround them, pray for them. Okay, so if you would like to receive prayer, just come forward right now. Come right now. Get out of the rows, come down the aisles. You come to this spot right here and this spot right here, and you're going to be directed to the side. And if you see someone coming down, go with them. Pray with them. Support them in that way. Now I want to invite all of us to stand, okay? And for everyone who is waiting, you can come at any point to come down and receive prayer, okay? Any point, come down. Don't worry But for everyone who is standing, let's fill this place with prayer. Let's fill this place with faith, okay? So let's all stand together, okay? Let's all stand together. Let's worship, let's pray, and let's support those who are being prayed for right now. Thanks for listening, and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.